Well, good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. My name is Aaron. We are disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. Before I get to my message, just one other quick announcement for you is for our members. We're going to have a brief meeting between services today to review and approve our, our driveway uh, repair project. And so that'll be a lot of fun. And so hopefully you got the email this week and all the information. But uh, stay after the service. We'll begin after and uh, should take about 10 minutes. So there you go. All right, with that, let's get into our message today. We are in our identity series, and hopefully this has been a, uh, a helpful series thus far as we talk about who we are in Christ. And we, are, of course, uh, we began a few weeks ago for our uh, entire series. In fact, what we're going to be talking about today will not make much sense at all if we don't start there. We're who God says we are. And then we talked about that morality is what God says is, is mora- moral, right? So morality comes from God. They're the uh, spiritual laws that he put into place that govern us. So uh, we have to start there as well. If we don't agree that God uh, has the ability to tell us what is right, and he has the ability to tell us who we are, find our identity in him, uh, then really we're just going to argue, which we find a lot in our culture. But we've started those two points, and then last week uh, we got to talk about gender, and that as God has created us, we are who he says we are spiritually, like we are his saints, we are his children, even when we don't feel like that. We are forgiven, even if, regardless of what anybody in the world says, regardless of how we feel, we are who God says we are, we are who, we are, uh, who he says we are spiritually. It's the same way physically, that our physical design is part of his, how he made us. He made us male and female, and that masculinity and femininity are a beautiful reflection of his divine uh, person. And so we start with that, and today now we talk about one of the two institutions that God created. Out of all the things that God created, there was only two institutions in all of creation that are God-designed. And uh, he could have designed government, he could have designed business or all anything like that, but there are only two that he set up, and those are family and church. And so we'll be starting today talking about family, in fact, the very basis of family, the foundation of family, which is the marriage. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, hopefully you'll find this encouraging and helpful because the world has really no idea what marriage is. And I think oftentimes for those of us in Christ, we miss out on that. So hope this is helpful. Now, just as a, uh, a reminder of a disclaimer for those of you uh, uh, that are here, um, this is a message really for Christians. And so uh, this, if you're not in, uh, in the body of Christ, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I uh, hope that you would take this opportunity to kind of peer behind the curtain and say, what do Christians believe, right? We're, we're thrilled that you're here. It's awesome. Uh, and we want to show you, this is what, if you are in Christ, this is what uh, following Jesus is about, right? We are who he says we are, and his ways are the way that we follow. And so take this as an opportunity to see what is it that Christians believe. I think you'll be uh, pleasantly surprised by how amazing and hopeful God's message for us is. If you are in Christ, take this as an opportunity to go into God's word and again to recenter ourselves in what he says is true and right, trusting that when we live our lives the way that God tells us to, uh, we are living in harmony with the creation as he's made it, and things go better for us. So uh, there you go. Before we do, of course, the message, the memory verse to prepare our hearts uh, for this uh, is, comes to us from Galatians 2.20, and uh, here we read that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And so hopefully if you've been here uh, the past few weeks, this is starting to become more natural. If you're new with us today, don't worry about it. It's not hard. Just say along with us a few times. Uh, it's amazing how quickly the word of God begins to stick to our souls. All right, so here we go. Say it with me. Three, two, one. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Oh, isn't that amazing? Right, we have to begin that we have a new life in Christ. We died to the old ways, right? The ways that this world has taught us. And there's a whole new life that we have in Christ. And that is really the foundation for everything that we're talking about today. All right, so if you have, uh, haven't had a chance yet to memorize that verse on your connection card, there's a perforated memory verse card. I invite you to tear, uh, tear that off, take it with you, put it in your pocket, your, your wallet or whatever, and remind yourself of this truth. The foundation of our identity comes when we become alive in Christ. Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. All right, that's going to be on page 816 if you're using one of our Bibles. And uh, if you forgot your Bible today, don't worry about it. We have uh, plenty of them right by the sound booth in the back. And if you need a Bible, be our gift to you. Now, Ephesians, as you're turning there to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Ephesians is a book written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, which turned out to be one of the leading churches in, uh, in the entire Christendom for the first century. It was a very important church. Uh, Paul was there, but then we also find that the Apostle John served there for quite a period of time. It's a very important church. And Paul writes to the, the Ephesian church some instructions as to what is Christian life all about? How do we live it? And so we get near the end of it, chapter 5. He's really going down into some of the essentials, some of the basics as to what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. And he begins to talk about family. And Ephesians, chapter 5, in there, there's a... Uh, it's one of three passages in the New Testament which explicitly talks about family and the family structure. The other two we find in there are Colossians 3, and then starting in verse 18, and the other one is 1 Peter chapter 3. And so uh, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, and of course here. And so this is one that we're going to be really camping in today and just be reading about family. And so we're going to start on verse uh, 20, um, 21. And it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is really where it begins. The reason that we start in family, it starts with the attitude of towards one another. I'm sacrificing myself, my ideals, what I want to do for the other person. In family, it begins with all with this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's not about what I want, right? It starts with this sacrificial love. That is the founder. If you start going into a family or a marriage with the idea of what I can get out of it, you're not going to get out of it what you need. You have to begin, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? This is where it all starts. And then we will begin to see how a family is structured. And uh, really the next paragraph really gets into it. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now, the, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blessed their wives as their own bodies. 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we, all, we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, and I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We'll go on to children and family next week, but we'll begin here and some things we're going to learn about family just from this passage but also that are echoed in those other two passages and throughout the new testament and uh, the first thing that we find in marriage is marriage is a lifelong human union between a man and a woman this is important for us and we live in a society that here recently has decided that we can define what marriage is and really culturally uh, society wants to be able to say we're going to say what marriage is <laughs> But remember, we are who God says we are, and the reality works as God says it does. And marriage is actually something that God has defined for us. It's one of the two institutions that he has made. And it is defined, as we find in Scripture, throughout all of Scripture, as one man, one woman, for life. Look at verse 31 that says in there, however, each one, or sorry, it says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is really the basis of marriage, and it doesn't just start in the New Testament. It goes all the way back to creation. This is going back to Genesis chapter 2. We find this, or chapter 1. It says, um, it says, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they became one flesh. So in the story of creation, as God made people in his image, he, uh, he created Eve and brought her to Adam, and Adam said, this is, <laughs> this is now part of me, right? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We talked about that last week, and that was the beginning of marriage. And so marriage is part of our created design. It's something that God did, not that people do. It's part of who we are. That's why marriage is found in every single culture, even not Christian cultures, right? We go back thousands and thousands of years. You go to all the different continents. Marriage is, you'll find marriages everywhere. Why? It's part of who we are. It's part of that design. And, and not until recently, not until the past 10 years, have humans decided that we can now change what it even means. I think that's interesting, but... but but when we go back to our design, as Christians, we say we are who God says we are, that we, that we have the design that he gave to us. We have the, not the other way around, by the way. He didn't make marriage for us. He made us for marriage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And there's a part in this. He says a man, he was created in the image of God, male and female, masculine and feminine, and that togetherness made in the image of God, both male and female, coming together is what makes marriage unique. It allows us to bond together and become something uniquely profound. We get to bear God's image in a whole different way. And so the complementary difference of masculine and feminine is what makes the union work. And God is the one, by the way, in this that marries, not people. Right? It says, for this reason a man shall be uh, leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife. A man doesn't unite himself to his wife. In fact, when somebody comes to me and they say, will you marry us? I will say, I will officiate your, we your wedding. That's what I can do. It's like in a football team, uh, there's an officiate, right? There's, a, there's, the, there's the official there, right? He's got the white hat and everything like that. His job is to win another team. They get into the end zone. He says, it's a score, right? We did it, right? He officiates, but he doesn't score the touchdown, 
He officiates. So that's my job. Right? So I said, I'm efficient. When, when I see two people come together and God bonds them, he gets that soul glue together and he makes two one, I go, woo, score, right? That's my job. But it's not my job to stick them together with their very souls. It's not what I can do. No human can do that. That's why Jesus said, what the Lord has joined together, let no one separate. Marriage is something only God can do, which is why we only lie to ourselves when we try to marry people that God won't stick them together. You have corrupt officiants who are saying score when there has been no score. God is the one who marries, and we have to realize that it's his design and his work. It's a miracle, something that only he can do. Now, the second thing we need to find out here is the primary purpose of marriage is to reflect God's image in nature. Right? His very image and his nature. That's the purpose of marriage. We come from a very self-centered, selfish culture right? that believes everything is about me. But the beginning of walking with Christ is I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where it begins. It's not about me. It's not about my needs or my desires. Marriage is not about making you happy. It's not about making you fulfilled. That's not why God gave you marriage primarily. Those are the benefits of a good marriage. But that's not why he gave you God. And it's important for us to really get that. Because a lot of people get into marriage for the wrong reasons. They get into marriage for selfish reasons, but our God is in his heart not selfish. God did not marry the church. He did not bring about the bride of Christ because of all the incredible things that we could give to him. He laid himself down for us. He loved us and gave himself for us because we had need. Because it reflects his nature and his goodness. And to begin with Christ, a Christian marriage needs to start on a right mentality. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Marriage can never be about selfish. And the made it beginning was to reflect who he is. The primary purpose of marriage is to reflect God. Where do I get that? Well, look at verse 32. It says, it's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each man must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must reflect, respect her husband. I mean, right in there, I think you see that, that God's talking about this profound mystery that the church or marriage reflects God. It reflects who he is. This is it. And so he uses marriage as a way of reflecting him. And actually, look at Genesis chapter 1, where it says, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then we read in chapter 2, how did he make them? Well, he made Adam and then he made Eve. And he said, for this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. He made humans in the context of being married. Why? In the image of God. The purpose of marriage is to reflect him. Why? Because God is, has masculine traits and God has feminine traits. And he made people male and female to reflect who he is in their own unique way. And then he bonds them together so we can reflect him. People, humans, are image bearers of God. We are unique in creation and it's a high and a powerful thing that we didn't ask for, but God gave to us. He's given us an amazing privilege to reflect Him in this universe, in this world, not just in the physical, but even in the spiritual, even amongst the angels. Humans reflect the image of God. How profound and what a holy call that is. And marriage is 
the institution that God has created to reflect who he is most profoundly to the world. Think about this. It's, it's two in one. Our God is triune, so he's, he's got us by one. But, right? But you take two people and he bonds them together and the two shall become one flesh. To explain to the world this beautiful intimacy of relationship and yet, that oh, was an amazing thing. And he does this with masculine and feminine, two very different kinds of people. And he puts them together in complementary ways. God joins us. And he bonds them in love. It's self-sacrificial. It's a type of love that says, I choose your good above my own. That's why I'm doing this. It's a kind of love that's based upon faith. I'm doing this to reflect God and his glory and who he is. It's not just bond and love, but also in, in intimacy and relationship. That a marriage is designed to bring two people together, not just in the flesh, but in heart and the soul, right? To be able to speak to one another and to know each other in a way that no one else in the world gets to know you. It's a beautiful thing that reflects the relationship that the Trinity enjoys amongst each other. Marriage is a holy thing. And that's why in Hebrews 13:4 we read, very strong thing. It says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. You ever wondered why scripture has such strong condemnations against sexual sin? Because it's a violation of the marriage institution that is designed to reflect him. It's when his image bearers choose to mar the very image of God. That's why God takes it so personally. When we violate marriage, when we when we abuse it, when we change it, when we, when we adulterate it with bad things, we are reflecting an image of God to this world and creation that is not correct. And God takes it personally. That's why sexual sin has a unique kind of, of uh, disdain in Scripture. To violate the marriage covenant is, is a form in that way of blasphemy. Is showing to the world a reflection of God that is not right. And so it says that marriage needs to be honored by all. And talk about sex. We live in a culture that says the sexual revolution. Has it really set anybody free? Has it? I mean, have all of the different heartaches and, and the diseases and the brokenness, has it helped anyone? I mean, how many more studies are defined that, that women who have multiple sexual partners have a very difficult time attaching to one person? And it makes their marriage harder. How many more times studies we have to find that men who have multiple sexual partners find it very, very difficult to, to, to truly love and appreciate the one woman that they're supposed to love? I would say this, that God has reserved sex for marriage as a form of intimacy. But it's not the only thing to reserve for marriage. But our culture gets it wrong. We think somehow that this is something we're, that, that we just should just uh, not honor the marriage bed, not keep it pure, not keep it holy, separate. And so this applies to all of us. It says the marriage bed should be honored by all. That's children. That's people that aren't married. That's people who are married. That's people who were married and aren't anymore. It's to be honored by all. To understand that the free sex culture starts to chip away at the very design of what marriage is. It says that this institution is not different. 
is not holy, that there's nothing special about it. And when we destroy that, we destroy the very image of God in our culture, our ability to know who he is and how his relationship is supposed to work. We actually damage our, our very purposeful way we were designed. We don't live up to that which we were made for. And that's why we have to take this seriously. And I'll say this, it's not just about sex. I would say, too, abuse is just as much a marring of the image of God. Right? Abusive marriages, marriages in which they're, the, the, the marital unions are set kind of like boxing ropes to just keep somebody in so you, like, you can't escape and you're just going to pound on them, that is evil because that is not how God works. Marriages are a place for love, mutual sacrifice, and respect. And I don't think God takes kindly to abusive marriages when we abuse the bond to abuse the other person. It makes them look bad. I think he takes it personally. 1 Peter 3, one of the other passages, it talks about marriage. It says this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as the way you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing can hinder your prayers. Listen to this. Jesus is talking to Christians. And it says, listen, husbands, if you're abusing your wife, if you're not treating her right, God's not going to listen to you. There is a break of relationship that you have between your powerful, mighty God. Why is God so serious about this? Because marriage isn't about the man, and it's not about the woman. It's about God. And if you're not treating your wife correctly, men, you're telling the world that our God is an abusive God, a mean God, a bad God, a selfish God, and God's not going to listen to you. And I would say it's probably true for wives, too. If you're making your husband miserable and you're abusing him to show you any type of favor in this, you're reflecting a poor image of him throughout this world. Marriage has got to start. We have to realize that it's important that the marriage is about God, not us. We are who God says we are. We're his children. We're his image bearers. That's what we get. And if you choose voluntarily to be married, which God doesn't just marry people, right? He, he makes sure that you want to be married. He's like, you just have to say, I do, right? And the other person has to choose to want to be married. If you want to enter into this institution, recognize the very purpose of the institution, the very core is to reflect who he is, which means that you are going to have to be, I don't know, uh, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Why? Well, because he loved me and gave himself up for me. That's why. That's why we submit to one another out of our reverence for Christ. Marriage is to reflect God. Have I hammered that home enough? So many marital counseling things would not exist if we started here. And here's good news for you, by the way. If you're in a bad marriage, which I think a lot of us are because we live in a not perfect world, and we all married sinners who married sinners, so we say, know that they don't have good judgment, right? Here's the thing. If you're not in a great marriage, do your part, right? It's to reflect God. If you have a spouse that's not awesome, you be awesome. You know that also reflects the image of God in a great way? I don't know. Like the church, has the church ever been perfect? Not yet, right? I love you guys. You're wonderful, but we're a mess. And every church is. Because we're made of messy people. And yet, our bridegroom, Christ, is perfect. And so he's not in a great marriage right now. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, you see Father God in Israel. Was Israel awesome? 
No, they were cheating on God all the time. It wasn't a perfect marriage, but God was still perfect. And if you find yourself in an imperfect marriage, you strive, you lay your life down, you care for the other person, you reflect God's image well because God will be honored in how you reflect him to this world. So find great hope in that. Third thing we just find here is that the structure and roles of marriage, therefore, are non-negotiable. That God designed marriage. He said this is how it's to work. It's about reflecting him. It's not about us, so we don't get to design it, right? We're, we didn't create God. God created us. He created marriage to reflect him. The roles and relationships, the responsibilities, these are something that God says, I am choosing to create these, and I'm creating you for, so that you can reflect me to this world, be my image bearers. Responsibilities. Well, 5, verse 21 begins. It says, um, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, that's not a popular verse, but we don't do it because your husband is smart or awesome or good. That wives have a responsibility. And if we find later on, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's not a popular verse. But husbands are to love their wives, not because their wife is fantastic and wonderful, but because Christ laid his life down for, the, for his bride, the church. We need to lay our lives down for our wives. That's why. There are roles and responsibilities we find in this that are counterintuitive to the world because this world has selfish marriages. I, I will tell you, I'm sick and tired of people coming to me being married and they write their own vows and their vows mean nothing. The vows are like, I will love you so long as I like you. I'm like, well, that's stupid. No, no, no. Christ doesn't love us so long as he likes us because there's a lot of days I'm pretty sure Jesus is fed up with me, right? But he still loves me and he cares for me and he's helping me until... We like each other again, right? I'm going to say this, that there are roles, and there are two roles in marriage. There's, it's a two, there are two people, marriage is a husband and wife, and so there are two roles. There's the two people that are in it, right? And you have a masculine role, which is filled by the man, that's called the husband. And there's a feminine role filled by, by the woman, and that's called the wife. Not all women are wives, not all men are husbands, but in this particular institution, there is a husband and a wife, and they fill those roles because of how good God designed them. And so we find what is the husband's responsibility? Let's start with that. Husband's responsibility in marriage is this, is to love his wife. That's your responsibility, man. That's what, when you get married, you say, I do. That's what you're saying yes to. I will love my wife. And let me just tell you, it's not romance. It's this, I will lay down my life for her. Everything I do, I'm going to choose her good above my own from this day forward. Because that's what love is. All right, that, that's where we find. It says, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gives us the standard. How did Christ love the church? Did he always like the church? I mean, there are times when Jesus was walking with the apostles, and he's like, you guys are idiots, right? But he still went on the cross for her, right? He still cares for her. He still gave us the Holy Spirit. He's never neglected our need. He was still kind and compassionate, even when the church has not been. So love is choosing another's good above your own. Husbands. You choose to lay your life down for your wife. That's what you do when you said, I do. That is your responsibility. That is what you need to do as a husband. Now, as a husband has a role then, in context of laying his life down for his wife, choosing her good, that means leadership, right? Masculine leadership is part of God's design to reflect himself. In fact, how do we pray? Our Father who art in heaven, 
There is something about masculine leadership that God wants the world to see. That's part of who he is. It doesn't mean the feminine portion of him is not good or valued, but masculine leadership reflects God. And that is why a husband serves, not because he's most qualified, not because he feels like the best leader. Sometimes the man in the relationship truly, honestly, isn't a better leader, but he's more masculine. And that masculine leadership reflects God. And so verse 22 and 24 through 24, uh, we see that wives can then submit to their husbands. Why? Because he's the head. He has leadership responsibility. And unless any of you think this is something that's only reserved for marriage, think about a car. Cars are designed perfectly for this. How many steering wheels are there in cars? There's one. And everybody else in that car submits to the driver. They go wherever the driver takes them. Sometimes good places, sometimes not great places. And sometimes there's an idiot at the wheel, right? So choose which car you're going to get in, right? And I would say this, that the men, you have great responsibility. Just like a person sits in the car, if you're going to sit down and you're going to drive and you have a passenger in there, you're responsible for that person's life, which is why you don't drink and drive. It's why you don't drive distracted. That's why you take greater responsibility for where you take that person. And men, once you choose to be married, you have a greater responsibility to care for your wife. Where you take her matters, and God, is he, he cares. That's why it says, love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church, right? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing in the water of the word, and present her without stain or wrinkle or with any other blemish. And so love, men are to love their wives as they love themselves. You know, if you drive safe, because you, you care for yourself, because you don't want to be all mangled and paralyzed, the person in the car with you also arrives not all mangled and paralyzed. Men are supposed to, to live our lives. Husbands are supposed to, to direct our families in such a way that it actually leads to the benefit of the person sitting next to us. It, it, to help her grow in righteousness and in, and in health and security. And so this leadership that... that that God wants, is he, the reason he asked the man to sit there in the, in the driving uh, seat is because there's something about masculinity that God designed that prepares him to fill this role in a way that reflects him. And we talked about last week, what is masculine? To understand the difference between masculine and femininity, because the world has a very skewed idea. But masculinity is protective, it's, it's uh, productive, it's directive, and those are qualities that are needed if a man is to really lay his life down, sacrificial love for his wife, so he can lead her well. And so we find there are things that a husband's supposed to do, right? To, to help her grow in faith and faithfulness, to present her in such a way to the Lord that, that she is uh, uh, going to be spiritually clean and pure without stain or blemish. Let's say that one of the ways that husbands do that is a husband provides for his wife. We see that all the way through Scripture. That one of the roles that a husband does is make sure that his wife is well supplied. You can't lay your life down for somebody and not give them what they need to survive. That's why in masculinity, one of the things that are deep ingrained in men is that we are providers at a very core level. And God did that for a reason because just as Heavenly Father provides for us, we are called to provide for our wives. And so men provide this, and not just physically. Yes, we provide financial security. That's why it's important. That's why one of the things, even amongst secular women, what are they looking for? One of the most important things they look for in a man is they're going to be, help me be financially secure. 
That's not because women are, are money-grubbing or anything else. It's in their DNA because they need to know they're secure so that way they can do what God called them to do. But it's not just providing physical, financial security. How about just physical security? Right? If you're walking down that alley and somebody tries to mug you, men, step up and defend your wife. Don't throw her out there and say, you take care of that problem. That's why in the middle of the night when there's a bump, Guess who gets out of bed and goes up there with a baseball bat? Like, I'm going to beat a bear to death with a baseball bat. It's us. That's why in our homes, men, we have these crazy jobs, these masculine jobs, like taking out the trash. We want to keep our families healthy. We clean out the gutters. We change the light bulbs, typically. Why? To keep our families secure. We provide for them. But it's not just the physical things. Men provide emotionally for our wives as well. You know, there's a reason God gives us these wonderful wives who be able to talk to us. And you know that men have half the words as women? That's, that's a reality. That's a real thing, and it's okay. That men have half the words so that we can allow our wives to talk to us. And wives, oftentimes you're like, my husband's so stoic. Be glad he's stoic. He's listening to you. Right? You have somebody to hear you, to know you companionship to treasure you. I want to say this, that husbands also provide spiritually for their wives. It's what we're supposed to do. God looks at us husbands and says, are you providing for your family spiritually? Are you leading them to church? Are you leading them to faith? That's on our shoulders, husbands. It says in this word that you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave herself for how? By cleansing her by the washing of the word. Husbands need to be the leaders in the home spiritually because God, masculine, in his directiveness through the heavenly Father, led us spiritually back to him. It reflects him. The second thing we find that men do is, is husbands not just provide provision for their wives, but they also provide protection. Right? We, we care for our wives. We give them a safe place to be. And this means that men, we need to reject passivity and accept responsibility for this incredible creature that God has given us to care for as an equal and as a partner. We have to say, you know what, it's, it's not just about her taking care of herself. That God says, no, that she has, God has gifted us with a great responsibility. So physically, yeah, safety is the end of the defense. Spiritually, we have to protect from bad doctrine and from sin and neglect. We can't just ask our wives to go out and you choose to us what's spiritually good. You find us a church. You do what's right. No. We have to take responsibility for the spiritual safety of our home. How about emotionally? How many men have just neglected this? And we allow our wives to just say, okay, how about kindness and understanding and all the emotional needs in our home? We're like, well, we'll just leave that to our wives. We need to find a place that our families can be safe so that family can exist. It's on our shoulders. I miss it. Husbands, also, we direct our wives. That's that leadership. And I know in our culture that seems horrible, but it seems to have worked fairly good between God the Father, and there's some pretty good history for it. That masculine leadership is a good thing. How God even designed our brains to work. To be able to care for our wives, not doing things for selfish reason. This is why it's so important that men, we have to die to ourselves first so you can live for uh, such a way that you, you care for your wife. Is, is you protect her? Right? You... you uh, you direct her, uh, you help her to grow in Christ, you actually give direction, 
That's what it says in here. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. And where is he directing her? In sinlessness and in blamelessness. And we're going for your benefit. Everything is for your benefit. And I would say this, physically, you're taking responsibility for the family, making sure that, that uh, it's, it's not up to the wife to make sure that uh, we're going to have enough money at the end of the month to eat things, you know, food, typically, right? It's not up to her. The husband says, this is on my shoulders, and maybe I need to have my wife help me work, but, but I'm not going to just say, well, if it happens, it happens. Husbands, this is our responsibility. It's the same thing about, it's not just up to my wife to say we're going to church and we're going to be closer to Jesus or things. You have to take responsibility. It's up to you. How about emotionally? Don't be passive and waiting in your home, directing your family passive. You see that there's dysfunction happening in your home? Do something about it. <laughs> Fix it. If you need to say we're going to get counseling or we're going to, go to, we're going to start reading books together or we're going, to, we're going to talk this through, you are the one that God has said you're in the driver's seat and where your family goes is on you. So if you don't, husbands, if you don't like the direction your family's going, you're sitting at the steering wheel. Change it. Provide direction. It's not fair nor right to ask your wife to put that responsibility on her. She has other responsibilities that she needs to do to glorify God. And doesn't mean that a wife can't do those things? Oh, she can, oftentimes because the man is sitting at the wheel and he has his hands up. And she's sitting in the car like, well, if I don't do something, we're going to wreck. Don't do that to your wife. Christian marriages need to have husbands that provide good direction. But here's the biggest thing in all of it is sacrifice. Husbands need to set the example of sacrifice. It says, the very beginning thing, it says, submit to each other in the Lord. Husbands, start with this. You submit your needs to your wife repeatedly you do it in such a way that she can count on it if she knows that you're always going to choose her best above your own even sometimes you might make a bad choice but you're always doing it for everything for her best you're always choosing her above herself it's going to make it a lot easier for her to trust you own it and so you have to be sacrificial spiritually yeah i know a lot of guys i would rather be fishing than being at church right now i get it but you need to be setting the example for your family especially for your wife, physically. You know, it's laying your life down for you. Sometimes it's eating bran muffins. Those are awful, <laughs> right? Taking care of yourself so you can take care of her, right? We do these things not because they help us, but because we care for them. And I want you ladies, because I know that the world tells you that this example of masculine leadership is so bad. That is a horrible paradigm. That's a terrible lens to look at this through. I want you ladies to think about what a high value human being made in his image to do nothing but focus on your good. To lay down himself so that you have everything you need, that you are safe and well provisioned and protected so that you have everything you need to be able to live the life full of glory that God has designed you for. Think of the high calling God has given women to be a wife. He says, I don't want you to have to worry about the protection and the provision and all those other things. I want you to be able to glorify me in a way that the world has nearly, there's nothing in creation that has the ability to glorify God like, like an amazing woman, like an amazing wife. And he says, I want you to have that ability. And so he assigns a human being for their entire life to put up with you and to help you and to grow you and to lay their life down for you. That's what it's about. Let's talk about wives. A wife's responsibility is this, is to honor her husband. And I get it, that can be hard, because men aren't perfect. Just like it's not easy for a man to always lay down his life for his wife, because women aren't perfect. But if you get married, a woman, if you say, I do, 
and you become a wife, recognize that your first responsibility is to honor your husband as, as we find that Christ honors his father, as the church honors Christ. Look at verse 22, 24. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That's not easy. You've got to honor him. Right? Honoring your husband is, is submitting to his authority. Say, you know what, you have the wheel, and I'm not going to reach over and grab it when I don't like the direction you're going. You know how crazy hard it would be to, to drive a car if the person on the passenger side was constantly not just telling you where to turn, but then reaching at the wheel and causing you to try to turn? That makes for a lot of accidents. And I think we find a lot of marriages in, in the ditches because of that. One of the things a wives you can do is honor your husbands. Uh, Colossians 3.18 talks about this. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's why you do it. Not because your husband is so amazing. Hopefully you chose well. Hopefully you didn't get into a car with somebody who's proven to be, you know, he's got 18 broken cars in his, his garage, right? You don't want that kind of guy. But if you see somebody who's good, you say, I'm going to trust you, then you need to trust him. Because you reflect Christ in this. So that call for women to be vulnerable, right? For that femininity, that call to vulnerability that allows true relationship to happen. It's so important, and it's not easy. That, submit to one another in the Lord. How about I just say, make it easier for him to lay down his life. It's easy, it's easy for me to lay down my life for my wife, Amy, because she's awesome. She's amazing. Right? She perfect? No. But she's way more perfect than I am. Right? But she is amazing. She makes it easy for me to want to sacrifice for her. You know, make it easy, ladies, for your husband to want to lay down his life for you. And one of the ways you can do that is stop challenging him all the time. It says, let your husbands be leading because... Christ is the head of his church. Not because your husband is perfect, not because you always think he makes the perfect thing, but because you are representing the world, you're reflecting to the world the beauty and the mystery of Christ and his church. So follow his lead. And how do you do that? Let uh, Follow your husband is the way we let Christ lead the church. How do we let Christ lead the church? Well, he tells us to do stuff and then we're supposed to do it. That's what we're, right? That's how it happens. That's why we're even having this conversation right now about marriage. We let Christ lead. We are his followers. Jesus didn't say, hey, um, I'll follow you. He said, come follow me to the church. And that's what we need to do, willfully and wonderfully. Now, as a wife fulfills this role as, as to be uh, a, a, a person that submits to her husband's authority who, who follows him, she has a role in that. There's a reason that God asks her to follow his lead, and that's this. It's, it's not rocket science. It says a wife's role in this, her responsibility is to honor her husband, but her role is to help her husband. Right? You're not supposed to be at war. Right? It says in Genesis 2.18, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Before a woman was even created, she had a purpose, and that purpose would be a helper for her husband. That was her design. That's why God made you. Right? That's, that's an amazing thing, to be a help, not a hindrance. You know, it's interesting, helper, the word here is the opposite of adversary. Do you know what the, how we translate the word adversary in the Old Testament? Satan. That's the word adversary. Right, you know how we translate the word adversary in the New Testament? Devil. 
do not be the Satan devil to your husband. Right? You, you need to be a helper. That's the exact opposite. That's what a wife was created to be. The war of the sexes was designed by the adversary, by the way, to create war within our homes because he knows that a, that a house divided against himself will not stand. And how many houses have been divided against themselves? How many divorces do we find in our, in our culture? Over half. Over half the marriages, by the way, and a divorce. But you know, even those that don't end in divorce, because you have somebody sitting in the passenger seat always reaching over and grabbing the wheel and saying, you don't know what you're doing, and it's about power, and I want to go where I want to go, and I am independent. And they try to put a second steering wheel on the car as if that ever worked. Help your husband. Instead of grabbing the steering wheel, why don't you grab a map? Because sometimes we don't know where we're going. Sometimes we don't know how to get there. We could really use a navigator from time to time. And we could use someone instead of screaming, you're, you always make the wrong turns and say to somebody, saying, you know what, uh, you've made some good turns in the past, let's remember those, and let's keep that streak of going, right? Let's look at what worked, and you can do this, and I trust you because I'm in this car with you, and if you don't get us to that spot, we both go down. How about helping? How about be a helper? The war of the sexes hurts everyone, and it that war exists in the world outside of the church, but it should not exist here. It cannot exist here. God did not make male and female in order to be at war with one another. He made it to represent him and to reflect his glory and his goodness. And I would say this, that wives, you have the incredible opportunity to end the war in your home. Right? You can honor your husbands. And it's amazing when a wife begins to honor her husbands, building him up and, saying, and helping him to achieve what God has called him to do, to lay down his life for her, how things start to work better. So I would say this, as wives, you have power in your home and authority to declare peace within your home by beginning to honor your husband. And it's, I know it's hard. It's easy for a woman to love her husband. I, I've had so many wives that would talk about just how they just, their husbands drive them crazy because they do these stupid things, and they, they talk bad about it, and then they go home and they make dinner for their husband, right? And they do his laundry and all these other things. They love him, but they don't respect him. Start with respect. Love becomes easier after that, by the way. Your husband was called to love you. And so we find in this that the masculine headship reflects Christ and feminine, her, her honoring husband, actually reflects the Holy Spirit in a huge way. In fact, that word helper isn't just the opposite of the adversary. It's actually the same word that's used as the Holy Spirit and how he helps us. Do you want to see where it's used in Scripture? It's the Gospel of John, chapter 14. It says this, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And he goes on to say, he's going to be with you forever. He's never going to leave you or, or abandon you or anything like that. He's going to be completely faithful and helpful. Here in a, in a unique and a powerful way. Femininity is relational. It's civilizing. It's nurturing. Isn't that describe the Holy Spirit? How the Holy Spirit helps us to draw closer to God? How he, he's with us closer than a brother? He's civilizing. He changes us from the inside out and helps us change, become, gifts us and guides us with everything that we need to be able to succeed in Christ. Think about, ladies, your unique ability to reflect God's mystery of the Holy Spirit within the church with how you live. And so we find that the wife's role, femininity, is to be an advocate for the head, just as the Holy Spirit advocates for Christ. Not speak against. An advocate is a, is a beneficial ally, by the way. Wives, be a beneficial ally to your husband. One who's not just when you're with him is standing up for him and helping him, but one who's even separate is, is defending him and standing with him and helping him to succeed. And part of that is to help, help him make the right choices, but help make his choices right also. 
I remember this when I was an associate pastor for 10 years at this church. I learned about submission in an amazing way. Uh, the senior pastor and I, very different type of people. And there were a lot of times that he would make a decision, and I would be like, I'd try to help make a decision, and sometimes he would make a decision that I would disagree with. But once the decision was made, it was no longer up for discussion. And if I kept bringing it to him, me like, I think that's a bad decision, I would be fired. But once the decision was made, right, I would help him. I gave him counsel. And when the decision was made, it was my job to help him help that decision be the right decision. And I would work really hard to make whatever the decision was to succeed. And you know what I found is sometimes I was right. I had better ideas than him. And the thing still succeeded because I helped. And because it succeeded, the church succeeded, and I succeeded as well. Why punch holes on the boat you're both on? You drown too, right? There are so many times it's just like, I didn't agree with it, but this might be where, but let's make the decision right. Let's do everything we can to make it right because it benefits you. And if your husband really is laying his life down for you, well, maybe there's areas in there that he wants to help you with that maybe you don't even see yet. Help him be successful in lifting you up. Can you do that? And I want to say this, wives help their husbands relationally by offering companionship. Like I said, it's not good for a man to be alone. Right? It's not the beginning of what they talked about. One of the things that women do is bring that great relationship with one another. So to act with vulnerability toward your husband, ladies, not to, to guard your hearts off from him, but to be able to be open and transparent and help so he knows it's a safe place to be able to be honest with you. Or how about this? Wives civilize their husbands by... One of the ways is by making a home. And that's not just a house. It's not just, you know, Betty Crocker base to feel welcome, but it's more than that. It's the culture of it. Homes need to be a place of tradition and of safety. And of, 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 uh, there's a culture of family that needs to exist. We've lost that. And some of that has to do with, yes, creating a clean and a nice space for families to exist. Because when you're in a place of chaos, it's hard to concentrate. Yes, but that's so much less than and also a place of honesty and openness and transparency and a place where, where we bring each other up, where each other, one another, are honored. Women get to do this, it's an amazing thing. And so I think of like, a, like the beauty and the beast. I think it's a great, your husband needs a beauty, not a beast. There's enough beasts out there. We don't need wives that act like other men. That, aren't, that are masculine and do all these other things. We don't need a, 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 an adversary in our home. We need a, a wife who lives with purity and virtue, who, who shows us, who elevates the family into a whole better way of being. Wives can do this. First Peter 3 even talks about the power of a woman that does this. It says, wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. That's why women, be called to this virtue. Live it in your home, especially before your husband. It's a ministry that you have. You elevate your home. This is part of homemaking. It's probably the most important part of homemaking. How you live. Accept that virtue. Live in that way. And so in such a way, then you care for his needs spiritually, physically, emotionally. Care for your husband. We talked about a lot today. Marriage. I could talk a lot more but you're glad I'm not. We have a parking lot to talk about. So, application. How do we apply this? First thing I think we need to do as a church is accept God's institution of marriage. It's different than the world. That's okay. That's okay. But in Christ, we need to accept what God says is real. Marriage is what he says. One man, one woman for wife, masculine plus feminine combined. It's united by God, not by people. We accept that. 
And if you have a trouble with that, you say, I disagree with it, that's great. You can put yourself to death, and you can live in this flesh according to Christ, out of faith. Say, I'm going to trust, live this life by faith, that this is what marriage is. Second thing that we need to do is we respect God's purpose for marriage. Marriage is a holy institution. It's, there, it's about God, not about us. It's not about being happy or fulfilled. Those are benefits of a good marriage, which we should all work towards. But the purpose of marriage, we're going to respect it, is to reflect it. But also marriage is a place that we ha- should have mutual sacrifice towards one another. Respect his purpose of it. Next thing we find is this, is that we need to honor God's design for marriage in Christian homes. It has nothing to do with you. You may feel like, I am a man, but I'm not the best leader. Well, it's not about you. It's about God. And masculine leadership reflects him, so start leading. Well, I maybe don't feel I'm a tomboy girl, right? And, I've, and I don't really have a hard time just following and trusting. Well, it's not about you. I'm sorry. That femininity, that a support, that advocate reflects Christ. So live it out of faith. Honor God's design for marriage because it's not about you. You're reflecting Christ to this world. And I think if you do this, you're going to find something amazing. We're going to find that Christian homes actually fulfill us. As Jesus said, when we die to ourselves in the way we would normally live, we actually find real living. You want to find a happy home, a home after God's design that works well? Honor his design. Can you trust him enough to begin to apply that? Now, I've said enough, so let's, uh, let's, let's begin to apply these next steps for us in our day. What are some, some practical next steps you can do to begin to apply this truth into your life? You take out your connection card. On the back, I have some suggestions for you. And the first one is this, to memorize Galatians 2.20. Okay, I'm going to challenge you to do that. Because you cannot have a healthy home, even if you're not married, by the way, you can honor marriage, right? And you start by this, I have been crucified with Christ, but I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And the life I live in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the foundation of Christian life. That's where our identity comes from. And so if you need to begin there, begin there. Let God do a heart change in you. Or maybe this, maybe you want to read all of Ephesians 5. See the context of what this was all written in. That's powerful. How about this? Maybe you want to pray for your spouse because they need help. Wives, it's hard for a husband to be selfless. It goes against our very sinful nature. So pray for your husband. Husbands, can you pray for your wives? They have a difficult age in order to... You're, we're asking, God is asking wives to act in such a way that our culture has no idea, doesn't respect, and has a very difficult time with. Can you pray for them? Or how about this? Can you fulfill your commitment to your role, to your husband? Can you be a loving head of your home? Wives, can you be an honoring helper? Can you say, I'm going to commit to that? If you're not married yet, can you say, well, I'm going to commit to growing into that? And I'm not going to get married if I see somebody who's not willing to be the, a, a helper in that. Can you prepare yourself to commit your role? Maybe there's something else you need to do. Write that down. And here in a second, we're going to take our offering. As we do, I encourage you to take this connection card pray take our offering i'm going to send you uh, away and then uh, in the in the lord and for those of you who are members i'm not going to i hope you stay here for our meeting that will be very brief all right let's pray father god thank you for you and for your glory and your goodness your kindness and for honoring humans with the incredible privilege of reflecting you and your nature into this world we ask father that you'd help us to reorient and redefine 
our understanding of marriage so that it matches yours. Help us to live it in that way. For our husbands that are in the audience here today that are part of this congregation, yes, you would bless them, that you would show them your kindness and direction and your goodness. Help them be encouraged to step up and to lead families through that masculine leadership in such a way that brings you honor and elevates their wives. Father, for the wives that are here today, I ask again a blessing for them as well, encouragement, empowerment to live up to the incredible call that you have given them as wives, that amazing honoring helper that reflects you in your Holy Spirit in such a beautiful and a powerful way. Father, I pray for the marriages in this church that you would help us to grow healthy and strong and for those who are not married in this church to honor what you have designed as such as marriage so that we can, as this church, be a light into this dark world representing and reflecting you accurately. Lord, that you could make us strong and our families strong because they're they're honoring the design you've given us. Father, we pray for the commitments that we've made today. Help us to keep them in a way that draws us closer to you. We pray for our tithe, our gifts, and our offerings, that you would bless them and use them to build your kingdom in us and through us. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.